Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. I already gave you a happy Sabbath for the kids, but now let's greet the older kids. Happy Sabbath to you too. And happy Sabbath to you that are watching through YouTube or Facebook. You're probably traveling, but uh, we miss you here. We would love to have you here, but uh, you are always in our prayers. Today, I was planning uh, a sermon that usually when I preach about this subject, uh, I sing a song with my daughter. And my wife plays the song for us. But since my wife, unfortunately, is still recovering, hopefully she'll be back here next week. Uh, she is unable uh, to play. My daughter is there as well with her. So she is unable to sing with me. So you guys will lose half of the blessing to see like one of a lifetime opportunity to see me singing. Probably next time when I preach about this again, uh, then uh, you're going to have it. So for now, uh, we're going to be a songless uh, sermon today. But uh, it's a music that uh, has everything to do with what we're going to pray. It's called uh, Your Plan, Mine. It's uh, one of my favorites. But I want to start with a story. And that story came to an end in May 7, 1915. And the background of the story is the World War I. Germany was raging war uh, on the Atlantic. They had uh, blockaded the British uh, island. Uh, and uh, they were attacking ships that were coming from and to England because they wanted to cut their supply line so they uh, would not have ammunition or food or whatever. And uh, in New York, there was a guy that he had uh, one of the biggest uh, art galleries in New York City at the time. His name was uh, Lord Joseph Duvan, and uh, he uh, was uh, planning to send one of his uh, pottery experts, was a young man that was like very skilled in like uh, pottery and like making analysis, because he wanted to acquire some stuff that had been just digged uh, a few years before in Europe, and uh, he was planning to send that person there. But a few days before the, the trip, uh, they received uh, some news uh, through the embassy that uh, the German was sinking passenger ship, ships as well, not only cargo ships. He was sinking, they were sinking passenger ships going to the UK. So when he heard that, and he was about to board, uh, 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 to send somebody by boat just a few days later. He decided not to send that, uh, his employee because he didn't want uh, to lose the guy. And uh, so uh, the day before the trip, he called the guy in and he said like, I can't remember the name of the person. Let's, let's say it's Bob. And uh, he said, Bob, I cannot send you 
because uh, the Germans are torpedoing passenger ships, even American ships that are going uh, to UK. So you can go because uh, I can't have the risk to lose you. And uh, Bob said, oh, don't worry. Uh, because when I heard the report a few days ago, I started to prepare. I got on my bathroom, bathroom and I filled my bathtub with ice. And uh, I, at, at the beginning, I could just stand on the ice like a couple of minutes. But as the hours and the days passed, like... That two minutes become like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, one hour, hour and a half, two hours. So now I think I can withstand the cold waters of the Atlantic. And uh, uh, I'm also a very good swimmer. So if our boat ever sink, I'm sure I can uh, withstand for hours and uh, even uh, swim to shore. And of course, when, the, when Lord Duvan heard this, he laughed. Because that was like preposterous, like, was ridiculous, like a awful planning. Like, a, because you can die also for other things. But the guy was so insistent that Lord Duvan ended up sending him uh, as he wished. And... Uh, he board a, bo a boat called Lusitania. That was a big passenger ship. Uh, was the biggest ship at the time. And uh, in May 7, uh, 1915, uh, the ship was torpedoed and sunk. Uh, just a few hours out of the coast of England. Freezing waters. And... Do you know what happened with Bob? He survived. He was actually swimming for five hours till he was rescued. But most people on that ship, they died. Some immediately because they didn't know how to swim. And some, they died with, uh, because they are frozen. They were not, uh, for, they died of hypothermia because they are not, uh, uh, prepare to withstand those uh, cold waters. And uh, why am I telling this to you? Because wherever you know or not, and uh, wherever you like or not, we are at war. And uh, that in that war, each one of us has to take sides on a daily basis. And uh, there is no neutral position. You're Either in one side or the other. There's no neutrality on this war. And uh, everyone has to make daily decisions that decide in a continuous basis which side you're taking. And uh, especially now that we think, uh, as we believe we live on the end times, we are in the devil's territory. And why I say that? Because our mission as a church and as Christians, as individuals, is to rescue others. And like to rescue somebody from the hands of the enemy, 
you don't think or you should not think that that will be easy. He always fights back. That's, that's why I mentioned this to you before. Every time I try to do, like, we prepare for evangelism or we try to revitalize a church, the enemy creates problems. And we, uh, we get unprepared to that, but we should expect it. And uh, in the same way that that guy survived because he prepared, we need to prepare daily for the battles that, the, that life brings us. And what's a critical component of that preparation? Prayer. Uh, prayer is one of the most important things we need to do. Uh, we need to pray to have successful lives. We need to pray in order to be able to withstand the attacks of the devil. We need to pray to do everything really. We need to realize that we are so dependent on God that we need to engage Him more in a daily basis. And, uh, but if you're really serious, and if you're really serious in like uh, bringing others from the hands of the devil to the knowledge of truth, to the knowledge of God, then you really need to pray. Because I can guarantee you, you're going to face problems. And you won't, they won't be easy to get through if you don't surrender your life every day uh, in prayer to God. But before going any further, I want to uh, take a little break here for us to pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we open the scripture. To go over something that's so important. Uh, that's prayer. That's the third sermon I'm praying on. That's the first, last one on that mini-series. But uh, I want us to really uh, listen for the voice of the Spirit. What He's saying to us today. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes and pray. Dear Father in Heaven. Thank you so much for the privilege of having the scripture uh, a safe and sound source of uh, knowledge and information about you. Help us to look to scripture as a or guidebook to live and thrive in this world that uh, is a battlefield. Help us to realize that uh, every day in every decision we take, we are asked uh, to take sides. And we take sides by, we demonstrate which, where our allegiances are by the decisions we make. Help us to be faithful to you. And help us to realize how much we need you, how much we need prayer. And why prayer is so important. Help us to understand why we should pray. And as we go through scripture, help us to uh, read and realize uh, what you need us to understand so we can grow in our prayer life, in, in our Christian walk with you. We ask you, dear Lord, in the name of those here and in the name of those watching through the internet, give us your spirit, 
and be our guide as we open the word. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I will need some help from our friends from the AV. I'm going to ask a couple of questions during the sermon today. So I would like to have one or two mics that could be passed around so people can be heard. And uh, uh, if our deacons uh, could help to men like Jerry, could you uh, help another one? Like, it would be good to have one in each side so we don't lose a lot of time moving. So, um, the first question I want to ask today has to do with the title of the message today. The title of the message is a question. Why to pray? So, I ask you, why should we pray? I would like to hear from you, why do you pray? What do you think pray is good for? Please. For guidance. For, for guidance. For forgiveness. For forgiveness. Uh, we have uh, Rich here wants to talk. Ask and you receive, knock and, and the door will be open. Okay, that's a good way, reason why to pray. Any others? Health, pray for health. To draw us closer to the Father, pray for revival. Those are very good answers. And uh, but uh, there is more to that. Those answers are all correct. They are good reasons for us to pray. But there is something very important that I would like you to pay attention today. And this comes from the text we read this morning on Scripture. But before we read the text in itself, we're going to read a few verses before it that give us the context of where that text is given. So let's open our Bibles in uh, 1 Timothy uh, 1, 18 to 20. Those are the last few verses of the previous chapter. So as we read the scripture, let's read the whole context of it. So... Uh, when you find, say amen. Amen. Okay. So let's read First uh, Timothy 1, 18 to 20. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by then you may wage the good warfare, or fight the good fight, as all the Bible says. Having faith and good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, uh, have, suffered, have suffered shipwreck, and who were the and who are the Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, what this text is a uh, talking about here like uh, Paul is challenging Timothy that was a new one of his disciples a new pastor a new minister on the on the on the gospel 
to fight the good fight. And, uh, but what is that good fight that Timothy was being challenged to fight? What was this good fight that we just read about? The answer is on the verse, but uh, what did you get from what we just read? Just read from First uh, Timothy 1, uh, 18 to 20. What is that good fight? One at a time. Go ahead. Having faith. Having faith, yes. What else? There is a specific uh, word that's used here. Uh, he, he says like, we have to have faith, but in uh, what? Good conscience. Uh, in other words, uh, God is saying to us that we have to have faith, we have to believe, we have to trust on Him, but we also have to be of good conscience. Let me ask you, when are you with good conscience? Sorry? We, when are you with the, the Lord? When what you think about, when your desires are in harmony of what you generally do. And they are demonstrated, uh, they are demonstrative of your walk with the Lord. So in other words, Paul is saying that the first part of uh, what is waging war against the devil, what's to fight the good fight, is to live a life in accordance with God's will. It's to walk with the Lord, as uh, uh, Stacy said. Uh, and why is that? Why do you think that's the first thing of what waging war against the forces of darkness? Well, uh, because there is something that we don't we need to realize about that war. Uh, we fight that war. By being somebody, if we, are, if we are somebody that's living in accordance of God's will to us, even our own example, the way we do our business, the way we conduct our life, even if we speak no words, they are already a blow uh, against Satan because they prove him wrong. They prove that there is people that still love the Lord and still want to do the right thing despite the consequences. And uh, that's a powerful statement. And uh, I beg to say that uh, that's the most powerful sermon you can ever preach with no words, just by your life. And uh, by living a life that imitates the life of Jesus, we attract other people. We become magnets of people that are today living in darkness. And they are like that because they don't see anything better. But when they see something, they want to know why. And that opens up uh, for conversation. And uh, so, uh, wherever you like or not, 
The way you live is preaching a message. This message can be either a good message, a message that's according God's will for you, or something else. It's both a blessing and a curse that uh, uh, most of the time we are the only Bible our neighbors can read. And uh, we better be telling the right story. That's why we need that communion, that walk with God. But there's a, a flip side to that. When you choose to live like God, you're already fighting a war against the devil, siding with God. But when you choose not to, even if you don't do anything wrong, you are already taking a stand with the other side. Uh, choosing not to do what's right, not to do what's God's God-like, you're already choosing the other side. And uh, if we keep following the text, now we reach uh, the text of this morning. That's uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. So, let's read it again. Therefore, I exhort first of all that uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks to be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in our godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God in the sight of God our Savior, who desires our men to be saved and to, and to come to the knowledge of truth. Here Paul is saying that he wants us to pay for our people, to pray for our people. Pray for our friends, pray for our leaders, not only the leaders of this church or of the leaders of the or denomination in different levels, but even for our secular leaders, the mayor, the governor, uh, the president, and others, so we can have peaceful lives. And, uh, and he also asks us to pray even for our enemies. So all of those people we pray, the objective is to bring them to the knowledge of truth. And truth in the Bible has a name. Jesus. So, he wants us to pray for those people to get more and more knowledge of God and of who Jesus is and so they finally can surrender their lives to him. And uh, uh, if the Bible says that God has a desire to save all, that's why we are obliged by this text and many others to pray for everybody. And to demonstrate love to everybody, not only those we like, but everybody that uh, we interact with. And uh, But then, I go back to my original question. Why do we need to pray? Why, if God wants to save everybody, why He does just do? Why He asks us to pray for that person I don't like? my enemies, why he does ask me to pray for my governor, for the leaders of your, the church, for my neighbor, for that 
even that nosy neighbor that keeps gossiping all around about everybody. So why God asks us to do those things? Because he loves us. Yes. And there is a reason for that. And that reason I can summarize in one phrase that we know the phrase, but we seldom really go what that phrase means. Uh, it's because something called the great controversy. That's basically a reality that uh, it's uh, expressed on the Bible, that we are in a war. And uh, in that war, God was attacked. His name was uh, uh, smeared by the devil. And uh, mind you, that that war is not about power. It's not like who is more powerful. That could not be further from the truth. Like uh, last week, not last week, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, giving a Bible study to a couple and uh, we were talking about uh, that conflict and uh, I don't know how we came across a picture on the internet. That was like ridiculous, at least on my point of view. We had like a God and Satan and two opposing sides of a, a table doing a arm wrestle. So like that could not be further from the truth. Because if, the, if that conflict was about power, uh, there's no comparison between God and anything else created. Even the most powerful angel is nothing compared to God. Like, uh, if you compare an elephant with uh, the smallest uh, ant that you can find, you would al already be giving a lot of credit to the devil. Because even that is like not even realistic. So, what that conflict is all about is a conflict about character. The, what is being disputed here is who God really is. Is this, is this God love as he says he is? Or is he a tyrant? Is his way of government as loving and peaceful as he says? Or is just like uh, uh, his guys, guys lighting us to think he's all that, but he's just a tyrant in disguise? That's the real crux of the matter. And uh, uh, it's not by coincidence that the very first book on scripture that was written talks about this. The book of Job was the first book written. And he talks about that controversy. And he starts uh, with a very good depiction of uh, how things are working. Like uh, uh, at, at one point in my life, I, ha I had an office that I hated because my office was like on the middle of a trading floor and uh, the walls are glass. So everybody was, could see what I was doing. I had no break. Like I felt like million eyes always over me. And that's God today. Like he is living He's governing the universe on a fishbowl. 
meaning that all the eyes are over him. And everything that he does needs to be above board. Uh, and uh, on the Bible, we have a very good dis- description of this on the book of Job. We have the, on Job chapter 1, and if you be so kind and open your Bible, so you can uh, follow me as I read. Uh, the, open, the book starts opening with, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that's verse 1 of chapter 1. And that man was blameless, upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And uh, that's his description. And then it goes on and describes how wealthy he was, how many sons and daughters he was. He was a pious man. So pious that uh, uh, later on the narrative, we see something that we see elsewhere in the Bible. Uh, we see a lot of this on Psalms. Uh, something that uh, the Psalms like to call like the uh, divine counsel or the sons of God, or like other names, that means like when God meets with all his, the top representatives of all the universe. And uh, he was, was in one of those occasions. And uh, verse 6 we say, we, we read, Now there was a day when the sons of God, that heavenly council, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So, Satan was there. Why? Because he was the representative of earth. And he made this clear. God knew who Satan was, but uh, he asks God, I mean, he, he asks Satan, what are you doing here for our benefit so we could hear? And then he says, verse 7, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro the earth and from walking back and forth to it. What he was basically saying, I own the place. I'm the, guy, the top guy on earth, so I have the right to be here. And he was right. Because he owned the place. Why? Because when God created the world, he created and gave the keys to Adam and Eve gave the title to them free of any liens or anything. But when they defected on the Garden of Eden, they gave the keys, signed the title to the enemy. That's why when Jesus was here on earth, he called several times the devil, the prince or the king of this world. Because until the cross, he really owned the place. Just on the cross, as we see on the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 12, verse 11, that that, uh, that uh, deed was uh, taken back to God again. Now he owned the place. Now Jesus had the rightful uh, play, uh, uh his rightful place return as the owner, the rightful owner of the earth. I'm going real, very quick on this. Uh, I prepared uh, last night realizing that uh, I hadn't preached more about that subject before. Uh, 
since I want to get to a conclusion talking about why we need to pray, I'm going over just a few details. But if you go to our website, on the bulletin of today, like on the attachment, there is a very good nine-page summary of everything you need to know about uh, the great controversy and what the Bible tells us about it. Uh, again, it's not perfect. It's a summary. I just did a cursory prof- proofread, so you've, if you find any grammatical mistakes, just be forgiven. And, uh, uh, but if you are curious about it, you can at least read and follow the Bible text and the explanations by your own. But uh, going back here to the story, we see here something happening. We see that that conflict, they had rules. That conflict, uh, God, in order to prove that he was right, he needs to uh, show to the whole universe that if he's saving us, it's not because uh, he likes your likeness or because they like the way you dress or because he likes the tone of your voice. If he's saving you, is because his grace and by saving you, he's not breaking any one of his own laws. Because what the devil wants is for God to do some misstep, to break the protocol so he can claim victory. Or see, you cannot obey your own laws. That's what is at stake here. And how the Lord faced that on that occasion here with with Job. Uh, He uh, said to Satan in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on earth, a, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And then what's Satan's answer? Satan like a, I, I kind of picture the scene he's murking at God like, ah, of course he's faithful. He has tons of money. He's the most prosperous man ever. He's the, I don't even know who's the richest man those days. Used to be Bill Gates. Now it's the guy from Mexico and they keep like, oh, Jeff Bezos. He was one of those from the earth of that time. So, and he's implying, you're cheating. You're not being honest because you are giving an advantage, an edge. So of course he's going to like you. Of course he's going to love you. And he's not only attacking Job. He's attacking God's character again. Saying, listen. You are trying to fool everybody. So what did they do? They go in a conversation and they ask. Can I, let me touch him. Let me make him sick. Let's attack what, what he has first. And you see if he loses everything. If he's going to sue. Love you. And a uh, big surprise. What happens? He loses everything. He loses all his sons. God allows it. But God knew God's character. I mean Job's character. And uh, what Job does? He still praising God. 
And then Satan said, oh, okay, I get it now. But you're still keeping his hell. So let me send some sickness to him. And God allows because he knew job. And uh, at the end, he's penniless, healthless. He, with boils all over his place, I mean all over his body. And what he says, I came naked from the womb of my mother. I'm going to go no naked uh, from to the tomb. Like he's still praising God to the point that all the people think he's crazy. And uh, before I go to the end of the story, I want just to highlight a few other things that you may have missed. Like on the Bible, sin is not an individual problem. Like it is, but it is not. Like my sin is my problem because I did it. But my sin is everyone else's problem as well because my sin affects the lives of other people. Some more than others, but it always does. And the other way around is also true. If I choose to live a life according to God's will, my choices also, my good choices, also may affect positively uh, the, the life of other, other people. And uh, the other thing that I want to, to bring to your attention is that in the scripture, this war is not a lawless war as we see on the world today. It has rules. Uh, I won't have time to go an hour over them. But one thing that we see here in the book of Job is that those rules, they, can be, they are dynamic. They can be changed if both parties agree. And God is always on control. But uh, there is more to that. Uh, the Bible tells us, for example, in Matthew 8, 29, when Jesus uh, uh, go in, uh, to Gadara and he crosses the lake and gets to a place where he finds those demon-possessed people. When they see him at distance, what do they say? Matthew 8, 29 says, And suddenly they cried out, saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So there was a time component on it. Or at some point, God vouched not to kill the devil and his minions until appointed time. And the scripture shows to us what the appointed time is. We see in Revelation 20. It's after the second coming, after we spend a thousand years on heaven, after all the books of everything that was done on the universe is examined, not only by the universe, but by us. It's only after we have our three surprises that like, uh, why this person that I thought was not supposed to be here is doing here? Did God did something wrong by bringing this guy here? And the second surprise is why that person that I thought was a righteous person that was supposed to be here, but it's not. Did God make a mistake? And the biggest surprise of all 
it's like how did I come here like how God could overlook all the bad things and bad choices I did in life but all of this will be under scrutiny and that's why on Revelation 20 uh, it gives a sense that our knee will say and uh, Jeremiah also says the same that everybody will bow down and say that God is righteous because he did everything above board he saved who wanted to be saved and who could be saved by his laws. He was faithful to his covenant. So, uh, there's another rule on this that I want to emphasize. Uh, that, uh, that rule comes from another example, from Mark 6, 1 to 6. Jerry, can you read for me? Mark 6, 1 to 6. Mm -hmm. And you can now open your Bible so you can follow. <clears throat> then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? And is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Jose, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid, hand, he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit, in a circuit teaching. So, like Jesus was in his hometown, among people he knew and loved. He wanted to cure as many people as he could, but he didn't. Just a few, just a handful. What was the cause? No faith, unbelief. And, uh, that evinces another rule, like uh, that there's things that God wants to do, but he can't. Because he doesn't, not that he doesn't have the power. God is still God. He has the power to do whatever. But he is bound by his own rules. And he sometimes don't have the moral right to interfere in somebody else's life. Somebody else starts like uh, living in, uh, under the influence of the devil. Another example, before, uh, before I finish this, that I like to use, that's good on this, is like, do you guys ever read Daniel 10? Uh, where Daniel is fasting for weeks, three weeks. And then he says like, he sees an angel, Gabriel. And Gabriel says, says to him like, since you started to, to pray, 
I received the order to come and tell you those things. But I couldn't. Why? Because the angel that rules over the kingdom of Persia, the demon that was the boss of that territory, didn't allow me to get in. I didn't have the right visa. And uh, what did I have to do? Michael had to come in my rescue. God himself, Jesus, pre-incarnated, had to come and allow me to go through. They did some of those adjustments because he, he didn't have the right. But because Daniel was praying, that allowed God to interfere and gave him the moral uh, reason to claim, although uh, Persia was enemy territory, he had one of his own there that needed help and under the rules that was allowed because he prayed. That's the same thing here. We live in enemy territory. We need to be, God wants to save us. God wants to help us. God wants to do for us what he, he desires. He wants us to be, live a happier life, to have less troubles. He wants to cure us. He wants to bring us back to him, most importantly. But he cannot do those things if we don't pray. Because that's especially true for those that are not living a life in accordance of God's will. Every one of us here has a brother, a sister, a friend, a mother or father or aunt or uncle, a relative, or even a, somebody that we love that doesn't know Jesus or that's living farther away from him. We have to pray for those people. God cannot change their minds because that's another rule that's very explicit on the Bible. God respects our free will. He loves us so much that he wants us to take our own choices. However, uh, when we pray, he can create circumstances where we can see the truth, where we can decide for ourselves and he keeps pounding at us until finally we take the right decision. So, each one of us, we should be pouring our hearts to God if we really love those friends slash relatives. We should be praying for them. So God can, quote, create circumstances and bring them back to the faith. If our, if our burning of our heart is not for family, it's for like other people, if let's say our family is good Christians, and they might be. What about our extended family? What about our neighbors? What about our co-workers? How of those need our prayer so God could act on their lives? God wants to send their angels, but they need a visa too. And we help to get that visa by praying. That's what the Bible is uh teaching. And here, Jesus could not even uh, cure his, some of his own family because they didn't ask for it. Jesus don't want to intrude in your life. He wants an invitation. 
So, ask for it. Uh, and the point is that uh, prayer plays a big role on that cosmic conflict because it allows God to do things that he wants to do but he could not morally do because of the other rules. Faith and prayer are the keys of this battle between good and evil. And uh, you can see this in your life. In the days that you start your day with prayer and you keep praying all the way through, you may even have problems, but you finish the day in peace. But the days that like... uh, you don't. Although you may even have some of those days that the days are calm. At the end of the day you are like on the floor. Why? Because you're not inviting God to be with you. You're not inviting to God to be on the presence of those that you'll be touching their lives during the day. And uh, uh, that's why Praying is so important. One of the most uh, vivid uh, illustrations of uh, the importance of prayer and faith in the scripture for me is that story from uh, Exodus. When they are battling the Amalekites, they are getting like smashed by them. And then God says like, Moses, pray, raise your hands and pray for me so I can do something about it. Moses start to pray. He raises his hands and start to pray. Israel start to win. Then Moses get tired. And then he stopped praying. And they start to lose again. Then he, okay, let me pray. Then he gets tired again. And somebody has the wonderful idea. Let's all help each other in prayer. Like so they, one go and do the other, uh, hold one arm, the other go, the other arm. So the whole church was praying. And victory was being warranted. So why I'm saying to that? It's important for you to pray. But it's important for all of us to be praying together. We have two good opportunities to pray together here during the week. We have uh, our prayer meetings slash Bible study in Jerry's house on Tuesdays. And we have Fridays uh, or Vespers here that are also or Vespers Friday. We just pray. For each other and with each other. There is a power when the whole body of Christ is praying together and united in prayer. So I'm challenging you. Let's come and let's fill those places. And let's pray together as a family to see God's power in action in our lives. God is God. He is powerful. But He wants an invitation to come to my life. He wants an invitation to come to the lives of those that we love. And that invitation. Is prayer. And. Uh, there's, I want to finish. With one example. Of the importance of prayer. Even for those. That abused us. That. Uh, uh, bashed us. That humiliated us. Let's go to the book of Job again. And let's go to the last chapter. Chapter 42. We will read. Uh, and for you that never read the book of Job, like after Job gets sick and everything else, then come some of his friends, 
they mourn with him for a couple of days. That part is good. They show friendship. But then they started to see to say like, oh, you're a sin- sinner. You're sinning against God. That's why bad things is happening to you. And they speak so many bad things to him. Bad theology. Bad theology hurts people. And uh, at the end, something that's astonished happened. Let's read with me. Uh, follow me as I read uh, in uh, Job 42, verse 7 and 8. And so it was after the Lord had spoken those words that Job, uh, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what's right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And those, I don't know if you know it, but those offers are the offers for the sin of a prince. So those guys were like, not, they're respectable people. For I will accept him, least I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what's right as my servant Job. So they did that. And Job prayed for them. Job forgave them. Prayed for God to save them. So they could go. Back on God's. Uh, fold. But then something astonished happened. Uh, verse 10. Let's read verse 9. So. Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhat and so far the Nahamanite went and did as the Lord commanded to them. For the Lord had accepted Job. Job prayed and God accepted his prayer. Then verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And why is that astonishing to me? God knew Job was a good guy. But he only could bless Job when Job was imitating himself, praying for others, interceding for his enemies, interceding for those that made his life even more miserable. Only when we pray, God can bless us. Pray not only for ourselves, but for others. Why? Because only when we can demonstrate, only when we pray as an act of faith, even against our own wishes. I don't know if you ever prayed for one of your enemies. I had. That's not a nice. I cried. I had to like curb my enthusiasm. I wanted to pray, God bless them with death. But I, I had to be Christ-like. And I started by praying like, God, change my heart. Help me love them. And help them to love you and to reach the same mercy you gave to me. And only when we pray like that, God can hear our prayers. And we can give 
we can give God's free access to our life. And my appeal to you this morning is like every one of us, we are not perfect. We have things constantly that we have to make right with God. But we do have a responsibility. We are in war. And we have to take our sides. We have to take God's side. But in order to do that right, we have to surrender. Surrender our life to Him. And not only that, start to work actively for the benefit of somebody else. Otherwise, you are not being God-like. Because a Christian that lives just by himself, for himself and by himself is not really a Christian. We are not really following God if we are not doing like Him. And He, He has everything. But He was willing to give, to give up everything to come to earth. To live for us and to die for us. You should be willing to do the same. So, my challenge to you this morning, as we close, as we pray, is like, first take time to surrender yourself to God. And to invite God to come to your life, to change your heart, to change your desires. And then, start to pray. If nothing else, start to pray for somebody else that you want to be saved. So you can be a co-worker with God. You can be in His team. Because while you are not actively doing what God wants you to do, you are not in His team. And the thing that's most important to you, for you to do today is to pray for yourself and to pray for another. And from that, God will guide you to the next steps. So, I want to pray for everybody. But I'm going to give you 10, 15, 20 seconds during the prayer. And I beg you to take that chance to make yourself right with God. To give God free entrance on your heart. To give your heart entirely to God. And then to commit to be on His team. Not only to like God. But to love God. But, and demonstrating this love by working for somebody. And the first work you have to do, even before you approach somebody, is to pray for their salvation. Pray for God to enable you to somehow help them and to invite God not only to your life, but to their life as well. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so blessed because you created us to have a life, an eternal life with you. But uh, because of sin, our first fathers, Adam and Eve, before us, decided to go in separate ways. And unfortunately, more often than we would like to admit, we keep doing the same. We keep also following uh, before other gods, not you. Even gods of our own making. The gods of uh, uh, addiction, the gods of pride, the gods of self, the gods of uh, sex, the gods of whatever 
or heart's desires. But we want, dear Lord, to be different today. We ask, like David asked once before, give us a new heart and uh, develop in us an upright spirit. Help us to be willing to do your will. Help us to realize how much we need you so we can be day and night claiming for your help, claiming for your guidance, claiming for your lordship in our lives. We surrender to you now. And I pray for those that are here and those that are watching through the internet, even through a recording. And I pray, dear Lord, wash us clean with the blood of the Lamb and help us to be in your team, not only by professing our faith, by being Christians in name, but to be Christians in character, to be Christ-like. Help us to engage uh, in somebody else's salvation. Help us to labor with you to the salvation of others. We all have brothers, sisters, uh, relatives, friends, somebody special, neighbors, co-workers, that we want you to save. We want to be saved too, but heaven and uh, the eternity on the new earth won't be the same if they are not with us. So help us to develop such a love for them that we can pray for them with you day and night. Help us to be engaging with you in this battle as prayer warriors as we dedicate ourselves day after day, hour after, after hour. Let our prayers not be selfish, but let's pray for those that we love and those that we put on our you place on our way. And some of those are people that we don't even like. So, I pray, dear Lord, as the pastor of this congregation, help us to have that heart. Help us to be willing to pray that prayer and to be willing to dedicate ourselves to your service. And help us to be intercessors for those that we love and those that we don't love or that we don't like, those that are persecuting us, so we can uh, be one with you and open up our lives to our influence. I now, I give uh, a little bit of time for all my brothers and sisters here to surrender their lives to you, to dedicate themselves to you, and also to start right now partnering with you for the salvation of at least one person they love, or they care about. Dear Father in heaven, steward your presence. I ask you, accept our prayers. We are surrendering our life to you. We are giving ourselves to you. We are giving, laying at your feet our desires, our 
affections or addictions and or pride or self-centeredness everything that make a division between us and you and we ask you dear lord give us a new heart and not only that renew our minds so we can have new patterns of thinking help us to have faith help help us to trust you every day more and as as we feel your grace in our lives as we feel your forgiveness help us to feel loved so inundated by your love that uh, we want to share this love with others each one of us here already said to you in private that there's at least someone that we want to partner with you for their salvation and that we are inviting you to act powerfully in their lives so they can get to the full knowledge of Jesus the full knowledge of salvation the full knowledge of God so they can fall in love with you and finally surrender their lives to you but help us dear lord never give up help us to pray like that every day help us to have a special time set aside on the beginning of our day and on the end of our day for such special prayers but help us throughout our day to still be connected and praying to you and uh, worshiping your name to even silent prayer so we can uh, experience your presence in our lives throughout the day help us as a church family as well to come together as corporatively and pray for each other and pray with each other as we all pray together let your power and your presence be filled in our lives and in the life of our church and in the life of those we pray about give us your holy spirit and convict convict us give us conviction that we need you more and more so we can keep coming to the throne of grace and keeping being blessed with your presence in your life we give ourselves to you we give full access to our life full access to our hearts and we ask you uh sit on the throne of our hearts so you can guide our lives through your holy spirit and we ask you as well for those that we are praying about be with them and help them to get to that same surrender by giving themselves entirely to you that's what we pray in Jesus name amen you have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh Day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland Michigan If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.